0: Thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. Have you ever been frustrated when you've been stuck in traffic? Have you ever got annoyed when the Wi-Fi has gone off at home? Have you ever have you ever been in a mood and not quite known why you're in that mood? Are you the kind of person that struggles to let go and let other people do tasks that you're used to doing yourself? Are you the kind of person that gets frustrated and mutters to yourself, if I want something doing, I better do it myself? <laughs> if you answered yes to any of those questions, then I reckon, like me, you're a control freak. As well. And that's what we're talking about today is how to not be a control freak. And we're talking about the in the context of our series coming back stronger. Because in the last 18 months to two years, everything that we thought was under our control was ripped away from us. And we had to learn to actually then come into an even more controlled environment because we were controlling what we allowed in and who was allowed in our house and all sorts of things. And actually, I think we've become quite a control freak culture but i think today i want to challenge us to put our trust in the one who is qualified to be in control and so throughout this series we've been looking at different characters and you know um, when we've kicked off the the, the talks the uh, leon and laura talked about their favorite comeback story and so i thought i would bring mine and surprisingly it's nothing to do with football or liverpool football club it is my favorite comeback story is the story of apollo 13 Now, those of you that know me know I'm a little bit of a space geek, and so I'm one of the only people in the world that watched this space disaster movie and thought, I want to be an astronaut. (laughs) And I absolutely love this movie and this story. And basically, they're on their mission to go and land on the moon, and there's an explosion in the oxygen tanks, and their lives are in danger. And basically, it then becomes not a story about them landing on the moon, but about trying to get the three astronauts back to Earth safely and all of the odds are stacked against them and the whole world is holding its breath in hope that these three astronauts will return and against all the odds they come back and it becomes this incredible story and in fact in the movie the the NASA director he says this could be the worst disaster NASA's ever experienced. And the uh, mission director, Gene Crancy, replies and says, with all due respect, sir, I believe this is going to be our finest hour. And it's this comeback story of against all the odds, they safely return. And the Old Testament character we're going to look at today is somebody who had the odds stacked against them, that everything they, they were up against was huge. And this character is Gideon. Gideon was a character who was part of the Israelites. And at that time, the Israelites were completely overrun by the Midianites. And so the odds were stacked massively against them. The Midianites aren't little aliens, because it sounds like that. They're a nation of people that had overtaken the Israelites. And things got so bad that in Judges 6, which is where the story of Gideon appears, it says Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Things got so bad for them that they couldn't do it in their own strength anymore, that they had to pray. It got so bad that they had to cry out to God. Can you imagine the embarrassment and the awkwardness of it? Things would get so bad that you would have to cry out to God. And our world, when things get bad, we cry out to God, whether you're a Christian or not. We rely and lean on God and put God at the centre when things get really bad, don't we? You know, I remember as a teenager when I wasn't following Jesus much and I'd got into a fight at school and I remember standing outside my head of year's office, pleading with God, saying, God, I promise I'll never say another swear word ever in my life if you just get me out of this one. And I probably prayed that prayer about 15 times in my life. (laughs) Um, You know, when a number of years ago when Fabrice Mwamba, a Bolton footballer, um, literally dropped dead on a football pitch and his heart stopped beating what was trending on Twitter was pray for Fab. And we saw it again in the summer with, with Christian Erickson. And, you know, in the story of Apollo 13, the whole world was praying and crying out to God in the midst of emergency. But you know, I'm really passionate that God isn't just the God of the low times. God is more than the God of the 3 0 down at half time. God is more than a crutch. God is more than a 999 call. I think that God is worth orientating our entire lives around Him. That yes, in the dark moments and in the moments of despair, we can cry out to Him, but actually, right through life, we can lean and put God in control. And the story of Gideon shows us this. It shows us that God is the God in the midst of the tough times, which is where the story starts. But actually, right throughout it, Gideon puts God at the centre and orientates everything around who God is and what God says. And you see, we, we meet Gideon as one of the Israelites who's on the run, and we meet him when he's threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, that's weird for us to hear, but basically, a wine press was kind of sunk into the ground, and so they would, like, trample on all the grapes to try and make wine, and it was sunk into the ground. But when you thresh wheat, you were basically supposed to do it in an open space where the wind could blow away the waste, and so that you you, you kind of weren't working twice as hard because the wind would help you. And so when we meet Gideon, he's doing he's doing something in the wrong place, and he's just set up for failure. It's like trying to park your car in a lake. It's like trying to light a candle in a hurricane. It's like trying to be a successful football team, but you've got Oli Gunnar Solskjaer in charge. (laughs) Sorry, I couldn't resist that one (laughs) 5-0. You see, it's just not going to happen, and we find that Gideon is not only part of the weakest clan, but actually he's the weakest in his family. He's like, He's like the runt of the ugly litter. And we we hear this conversation when God appears to Gideon when he's threshing wheat in a wine press. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And then the angel goes on, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? You see, we we meet Gideon, who's a bit of a loser, and God calls him a mighty warrior. God invites them into this adventure. God calls them. Out of it, out of it. And you know, God says, I've got a plan for you. God says, I've got stuff that I want to do in and through you. And you know, in this series, we've looked at Moses, who was adopted, but then he was given in, brought, like, brought into a family of privilege and had everything he could want growing up. We saw Ruth, who God used, and despite the fact that, that she was a woman in those times, that was, that was seen as insignificant, but God used her. And here, Gideon, we meet as a little bit of a loser, and God says, You're a mighty warrior. And I wanna lay it out from the start that no matter your background, no matter your past, no matter your job, no matter your level of income, no matter your sexuality, no matter your race, no matter your gender, no matter your political experience and leaning, or no matter your religious experience, God wants to do incredible things in and through you. God is inviting you into adventure. God invites each and every one of us to know what it's like to experience a life that's fully devoted to him. And so whether you're on cloud nine this morning or you're down in the depths of despair, God says, I want to invite you into adventure. God invites you to, to experience this uh, journey with him. And you know, it starts with surrender. Gideon knew that he couldn't just go and do it in his own strength, but he, he, it started with him surrendering to who God said he was. And it starts with surrender for us, is that when we surrender our lives and say, God, I don't want, just want your bolt on help in this moment, but I want to orientate my life around you. That's when he begins to come back stronger. And you know, if we're going to become and grow to be the people that God has called us to be, then we need to surrender to the one who's qualified to be in control. And you see, I've got this phrase that I want you to remember, and it's, and it's this, it's coming up across you're not on there. <laughs> and it says this, it says, you can have control or you can have growth, but you can't have both. See, you can control everything and make sure everything's all right. Or you can let go and grow, but you can't do both at the same time. And God leads Gideon on this incredible adventure, which we're going to see. He wins an amazing victory against the odds with just 300 men. And you see, if we're going to come back stronger, we need to learn from Gideon of what it means to orientate all of our lives around him and allow God to work through us. And so we're going to learn from Gideon how not to be a control freak. And the first thing that we need to learn is we need to learn to listen. I want to encourage you to begin to build your confidence in what God might be saying to you and to us And you could easily put into practice a little bit of crazy off the back of this because God asks and speaks to Gideon and asks him to do some ridiculous stuff that we're going to look at in a few moments' time. And so you could easily read this story and go, well, it's really clear God's telling me to sell all my clothes and only wear yellow for the rest of my life and only transport myself using a pogo stick to show people how much Jesus loves them. Like, we're not leaning towards that level of crazy today, you'd be encouraged to hear. You see... What, what, what Gideon does is like he, he hears the voice of God and then he gets God to confirm it and he tests it out. And he does, he, he actually has it confirmed four different times. I counted when I, when I read it through. And he does this thing with a fleece where he brings out, he brings out a fleece and he says, God, overnight. What what I want to do is I want to know that you're definitely saying this. And so I'm going to put this fleece on the ground. And in the morning when I get up, the ground's going to be completely dry and the fleece is going to be soaking wet. And that way, I'll know that it's you saying this. And so he gets up and that's exactly what happens. But Gideon's not sure. And so he asks again and let's have a look at it together. It says, then Gideon said to God, please don't be angry with me, but let me make one more request. Let me use the fleece for one more test this time let the fleece remain dry while the ground around it is wet with dew so that night god did as gideon asked the fleece was dry in the morning but the ground was was covered with dew he got it confirmed he was like god i'm not sure but i need you to confirm it with me And, you know, we might find it weird, and especially if you're not familiar with church, when you hear people saying, like, God said this, and I feel like God said this. And so I want to just spend a couple of moments really quickly just talking about how do you actually hear from God? Because very few people hear the audible voice of God. You know, I've never heard God go, Andy. Or like, do you remember the National Lottery advert with the big, like, finger that came out the sky? It's not like that. I really wish it was because it'd be loads easier, but it's not. You know, the first thing that you need to do when listening to the voice of God is search your heart. You know, our head justifies what the heart wants. And I think so often we use God's voice as a ventriloquist for our own desires, I remember when I was a teenager in college, and I broke up with a girl, um, and I told her, God's told me to break up with you. And I, do you know, God didn't tell me. It was just, I couldn't think of a good enough reason other than I don't fancy you anymore. And so I was a coward, and I just went, oh, God's told me to do this. Like, that was me not searching my heart properly and not hearing the voice of God, and just using the voice of God as a ventriloquist for my own desires. And I think we do this, and so when when we feel like God speaks to us, like, search your heart. You know, God's told me it's okay to do this. God's told me it's all right for me to, you know, to do this and do that. We've got to search our hearts. In Psalm uh, 139, it says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you, and lead me along the path of everlasting life invite god to search your heart do it honestly and openly search the scriptures is the next thing that we need to do you know does it line up with the character of god is the thing that you feel like god is telling you to do does it line up with what's in scripture you know there are certain things that aren't written down in the bible but we can understand them by understanding the character of god or have you understood this in its proper context and understanding the bible the next one is search out. Advice. You know, weigh it up with friends that you trust. Pray it through. Talk to them. Don't just ask people you know will just tell you and agree with what you are saying. But trust people and talk to people who, are, who love you enough to stab you in the front. Like, when I was thinking and praying about proposing to Laura, I talked to one of my friends, Phil Knox, and he asked me some great questions. At the time, Laura was in a really difficult situation in London. And he said, Andy, I, I want to ask you if you've got rescue syndrome. That you're looking at this and going, if we get married, I'll save her from that situation. Do you really want to get married? And that was a great question to ask me. Over and I pondered over it over a few days and felt like, no, I don't have that rescue syndrome. I do feel like God is saying it, and so search it out. That's why it's a, we we go on about Connect groups so much. So this is a great environment to figure this out and work this out. The next one is search your wisdom. experience sometimes you just know what you need to do you know you know God speaks and you go yep that's God and and this comes with experience this comes in relationship you know when you could when you you know if you're married you can you can hear your spouse's voice across a room because you know the tones and you know how it works and you know you know when you're in trouble when you hear certain tones as well you know you can you can know it from experience as well you know I, uh, in my early 20s, a guy gave me a prophetic word that I was going to be a worship leader. I didn't need to pray about that one because I knew it was wrong. And that's okay, people get prophetic words wrong. But I stood there while he was giving me a going, you've got this one wrong, mate. I can't sing and I can't play an instrument. So God's not calling me to be a worship leader. I didn't need to pray about it that long. I just knew. And then the final thing is search for confirmation. Don't be scared like Gideon wasn't scared to test it out push some doors, you know, don't, don't do the obvious, like, like God, if you're, if you're calling me to keep all of my money and never give it away, then let me see a black car somewhere in the next six months, like, let's be realistic, but test it out, allow God to, to confirm it, push some doors, if you feel like God's calling you to apply for a job, then maybe apply for the job and push the door and see what happens, test it out, but we have got to learn to listen to the voice of God. The second point is that we've got to learn to let go. In the story of Apollo 13, they have this explosion in the oxygen tanks, and then there's this frantic surge to figure out how to stop the leak. And one of the guys in mission control, he suggests, hey, we should shut down the reactor valves. I don't know what they are. Um, but apparently, you can't land on the moon with these valves shut down. And once you close them, you can't open them again. And so they do this in an attempt to stop the leak. And so they radio to, to, to Jim Lovell, who's played by Tom Hanks in the movie, and he turns to the, to the other crew and he says, fellas, we've just lost the moon. And, you know, they knew in order to stay alive, in order to take hold of their safety, they had to let go of the thing that they were aiming for in the first place. And they had to let go of something. And maybe if we're going to not be control freaks, we need to let go of some stuff. You know, the first thing that God asks Gideon to do is to go and tear down the altars to Baal and the Asherah poles, basically all the stuff that they were worshipping other gods. God says, if we're going to have a great victory, then you need to let go of all that stuff. And you need to tear it down. And you know, if you're going to be fully devoted to God, maybe there's some stuff that you need to let go of. Duncan Bannertine, who's one of the uh, original dragons in Dragon's Den, um, really wealthy guy. Um, he writes in his autobiography about an amazing experience. And basically, he, he went out to Romania to try and build some orphanages for kids who have HIV. And he spent a day meeting some of these kids. And in the evening, he had this like moment where it just absolutely broke him. And he wrote about it in his, in his autobiography, but he also did an interview about it in The Guardian. I'm going to read it to you here. It says, one night, moved to tears, he found a place to cry and discovered that he was not alone. I did what you do when you're, in emo- when you're emotional in that situation. You go and hide, he says. I realised someone was there and it was God. The offhand way in, in which he says this makes me wonder if I've misheard. He was surrounding me. He was in front of me, he says. In physical form, asked the interviewer. No, there was no face and hands and nails and feet, but I knew he was there. I knew I was in the presence of God. It was a phenomenal experience. This is one of the dragons in Dragon's Den. He said to me, be a new age Christian. And so I thought about it and I said, no, I want to continue being selfish and doing my own thing. So no, thank you. And so negotiations with God were concluded. Wow. Isn't that heartbreaking? That's powerful. He's in the presence of God, knowing that he's being called to something higher and greater. And he goes, I can't let go of that money stuff, you know. And I'm not making a comment about him because I've seen some tweets recently where he talks about his Christian faith. So maybe God's appeared to him again and revealed himself to to him again. But that sense of, This is great, but I'm not willing to let go of that. And you know, if we're going to come back stronger, maybe there's things that we need to let go of. Maybe if we're not going to be control freaks anymore, we need to let go. Are there things that you need to let go of in order to come back stronger? You know, sometimes we can envy what others have, but we're not willing to let go of the things that they've let go of in order to take hold of where they are. You know, Jesus calls us to take up our cross daily. He doesn't call us to live a comfortable, convenient faith. He says to us that narrow is the gate. He promises that we will have trouble. He he challenges people to sell all of their belongings. Jesus doesn't call us to a comfortable life where we keep hold of everything. Jesus calls us to a faith that means that we let go and we put him in the driving seat. And so I wonder this morning are the things that you need to let go of. The third thing that we need to learn is we need to learn to be obedient. You know, our world at the moment keeps saying these phrases like, my truth, and what's your truth, and what's true for me might not be true for you. And I think we've lost our concept of what truth really is. The way I view it is kind of like an iPhone. Lots of people in this room and in Hagley and watching at home will have iPhones. And all of our iPhones will look different. Because we'll all download different apps, we'll all have different backgrounds, but there are certain things that Apple don't let you delete. Like stocks. Why won't Apple let me delete the stocks app? Like, I work for a church, I don't need to know how the is doing today. But you see, Apple is the ultimate authority on my phone. And so if I, if I want an iPhone, then Apple says I have to have stocks on my phone. And you know, there are certain elements of our lives and our walk with Jesus that are subjective. You know, I'm not called to work in the place that you're called to be. I'm not called to be in the school or the college that you're called to be. I'm called to be here doing what I do here. But you know, all of us, we're all called to love people. We're all called to, to love people and love God. And you know, there are things that are in the Bible that I wish weren't there because it'd be loads easier, but they are there. And so I choose or I try to choose to be obedient And Gideon has to show intense obedience to God in this story because God asks him to do ridiculous things. He's facing an army of millions and God keeps saying there's too many men in the army and he keeps cutting it down. And it comes to this moment where he says, right, there's still too many people in the army and I'm sure Gideon's going, hang on a minute, There's, there's like loads of them and hardly any of us. How can you think that there's too many? But he says, we're gonna go down and have a drink and basically anybody... Anybody who, who scoops the water out of the river and laps it up out of their hands, you're going to keep them in the army. Anybody who does anything else and like get, you know, gets all involved and puts their face down, you, you're going to get rid of them and they're going to go home. It doesn't make any sense. But here's what happens in, in Judges 7. It says, Only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in, in the stream. So he's left with 300 men it makes absolutely zero sense. It's not strategical. It's not good battle plan. But Gideon is outrageously obedient to what God says. And you know, there are things in this world that God might ask us to do and call you or call all of us to be obedient to that make no sense to anybody else. But it's just about obedience. I think one of the biggest things as somebody who's worked with with teenagers and young adults for a long time is waiting to have sex before marriage or until marriage. You know, you watch any TV program, it makes no sense that anybody would save sex until marriage. You're considered a weirdo, but yet God says it. And so we we look to be obedient to it because God says it and it's for good reason. And so we need to learn to be obedient. The final point is that we need to learn to trust you know I shared on Facebook um, that God's been speaking to me as I've been writing this and you know I look at the story of Gideon and I think I'm not sure I could lead like Gideon I'm I'm too pragmatic I'm too confident in my own skills and abilities Gideon at every turn in this story is available to the voice of God and I don't think I am everything that i've said i'm preaching to me as well as to you because i don't think i'm good at this stuff and in fact i'm um, i'm being coached at the moment by uh, a guy who does the equivalent role of me uh, that i do here in a church in texas and he's been doing it for 20 years and so once a month we have an hour together on zoom it's been really really helpful and a little while ago about 15 minutes before the call something happened and i was really frustrated and annoyed and so I went into this call and he basically says Andy this hour is yours we can talk about whatever you want to talk about and so we talked about this thing and we went over it and over it and I kind of vented and he asked me some really really good questions and we came to a point and I said something and he said Andy can I stop you there he went Andy I think I think there's some pride in you in this situation you need, you need to let go of that i was like wow <laughs> he sat in texas we're on zoom and i was like like we never met in person only on zoom just nailed what was going on and then he said andy the situation here is something you're trying to fix and you can't fix it and you need to let god be god and i realized not once that i prayed about that situation I'd gone straight into it going i've got the skills i've got the character i've got the experience i can deal with this god i don't need you you can take a back seat on this one i've got it and actually i wasn't allowing god into the situation and so i'm asking because i'm i'm saying to myself i need to trust more and maybe there's some areas that you need to trust more you know in apollo 13 the quick fix was to turn around and get back to earth as quick as possible But actually, the sensible decision and the thing that got them home is they turned off everything and put everything in the hands of gravity and used the moon's gravity to slingshot them around and bring them back home safely. Gideon trusted God implicitly. He orientated every decision that he made around God. And so I wonder, where do you need to let God be God? Where do you need to stop trying to fix it? Whether you need to stop bringing your skills and experience and just say, God, I need you to be in this situation. I'm giving this to you. I can't change their mind for them. I can't solve this problem, but God, I know that you can. I'm releasing this to you. Maybe it's a work situation. Maybe it's a situation with your kids or your wider family. Maybe it's your neighbours or a health situation. I don't know what it might be. But where do you need to learn to trust? Because here's the thing. Sometimes we say with our mouth that we trust God and we'll sing about it, but our actions say that we don't trust in God. We say we believe that Jesus can do all this stuff, but our actions are those of somebody that doesn't believe. I know I'm guilty of that a lot. And so I want to give us an opportunity to respond so here in the room and Hagley I want to invite you to stand to your feet and then we're going to respond to what God might be saying to each of us you know in the the late 90s a a youth festival a Christian youth festival was emerging called Soul Survivor and in their church um, they felt like they kind of got off script a little bit and got off the point and and were missing the point of singing and it had become all kind of routine and stuff and so they felt like God say, I don't want you to sing for a season. Like, talk about being obedient to God on something that doesn't make sense. Like, imagine you came here this morning and we went, we're not singing today. Wouldn't make sense, would it? But these guys, they, they, they were obedient to God. And then coming out of this season, their, their worship leader at the time, Matt Redman, he wrote a song called The Heart of Worship. And it was all about coming back because it says, it says, I'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things that I've made it, but it's all about you. And so we're gonna use this song to respond and say, God, I'm coming back to the heart of worship, to the heart of what it means to follow you. I'm coming back stronger and I'm doing it in a way that I'm gonna lean on you, that it's all about you. It's not about my skills and abilities but it's about you and how good you are. And so where do you need to pay more attention to the voice of God in your life? Where do you need to let go and tear down things that have been holding you back? Where do you need to say sorry and repent of maybe something in your life that you've been disobedient to God on? Or where do you just need to trust and say, God, I can't do it, but I know you can. I'm not a saviour, but I know you are. And so, Lord, I pray, as we respond now, as we pay attention to what your voice might be saying, God, I pray that we might do real business with you in the next few minutes. God, I pray for the people in the room, in Hagley and watching online. I pray that you would come and you would meet with us now by the power of your spirit. And God, that that we might go out of here, not as great men and women of God, but men and women of a great God. And so, Lord, I pray that you would meet with us and that you would speak to us and challenge us and shape us, we pray in your mighty name. Amen. Let's sing together, guys.